Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I am Matt Hurst with FasterSkier.com. We are here with a final episode from this year's Tour to Ski after the athletes finished up racing in a giant heap at the top of the Alchermis in Val de Fiemme. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next World Cup race, but probably in the intervening time, we will have a mailbag episode. So feel free to email us your questions and your comments about the podcast at nat at fasterskier.com and devin at fasterskier.com. We'll be back in a minute. Lighter, better, faster. The new Speedmax Helium Ski from Fisher is the ultimate in race ski technology. The Speedmax Helium Skate Plus features a bi-directional air core and a redesigned World Cup tip, helping this revolutionary ski weigh in at less than 950 grams. Paired with the new Speedmax boot, Fisher's Speedmax Helium Skis keep you staying stronger during your next long ski and can help you drop time during your next big race. Learn more about the new Speedmax Helium system at fishersports.com. Remember, skiing isn't a lifestyle, it's life. We have um, a fun guest, perhaps. Apparently, I've been texting with uh, Tony Sear, who is a real breakout performer, especially in Val de Fiem. Uh, he's heading to Barcelona to meet his girlfriend, who's also from Quebec, a Olympian in 2022. Laura Leclerc, but she won't be joining on the podcast. But uh, Tony Sears flying from Munich to to Barcelona right now, and his plane just keeps getting delayed, so he's not a hundred percent sure he can join us. But he has the link, so he might be busting up into our business in a bit. But it's nice to break down some stuff before he gets here. I mean, um, you should you could we you could call in a bomb threat and keep him on the ground for another couple <laughs> hours. You know, I will I will also Ooh, say I, I think he's actually know. in the air now. I don't know what's going on, but okay. maybe maybe we don't joke around about that on on any sort of medium. But I'm just I'm just yeah. Kidding. No, I, well, I was gonna but say. I hopefully, he gets email. okay. I, I got an I got an email last time uh, who was like, "You really should not suggest that any skiers go to a COVID party in the fall because some yeah. teenagers will uh, will do that." And I was I was like. I didn't think that I was that influential, but I will just uh, stipulate now, do not call in any bomb threats to airlines upon my recommendation. Also, do not uh, do not infect yourself with COVID uh, at any time. No. There's no there's no point at which that makes sense uh, <laughs> because you could always get it again. Um, maybe that's actually well. Yeah, that might I, be I think we should start with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I think we should. I mean, because for sure, I mean, don't. You can take it from that to say, don't do that. And then myself as well, of course, especially as an aspiring athlete at a top level athlete that goes without saying, but even an aspiring athlete, a a young, young racer or a master athlete, like getting a cold, I've got a tiny little sore throat right now. And I just hate my life. Uh, and I'm fine. I feel like hundred percent otherwise other than a scratchy throat COVID still tons. We don't know best to avoid it so put on those put on those masks and avoid people if you're in a racing season and wash your hands a lot and and just try and keep your distance because you don't want to get sick and i think we should start with that because it's the gift that keeps on giving COVID 19 continues to be the story of winter sport right now endurance sport and norway we we had a whole like intermediate podcast about the trials and tribulations about Norway. Luckily they got through Val de Fiem without anyone else getting, getting sick. <clears throat> and now the, the waiting game starts because a lot of athletes and staff are tired and they're going to be traveling home. So we'll just have to follow that story as it progresses. But as of now they're, they're fine. 
but we got some info from the US, the US side of things and gives a little bit of context to the struggles that they had during the, during the championship. Do you want to talk about that a bit, Nat? Yeah. I mean, I, I was, uh, I was just sending some messages uh, with, with Matt Wickham, uh, who's the, I think his title at this point is head coach of the U S ski team. And he said that they, they had had five staff down uh, with, with COVID or at least with illness uh, including him and and the team's head of, of service. And um, we saw a number of like social media posts and comments from the American athletes about how they were managing the, the past few days of the tour, given that so many folks had been taken out. Like it literally sounded like Rosie Brennan's boyfriend, Tyler Cornfield was who, who, who is not an employee of the U S ski team. Like he's in Europe uh, racing marathon events this winter like he was out there testing skis for the u.s ski team uh, mm-hmm. the last few days of the tour like they had julia kern's parents who were over from the east coast of the united states like handing out feeds and and running skis around um so it sounded like i mean <laughs> props to all those guys uh but also sounds like you know they were just absolutely decimated and then you know we heard obviously that folks from other teams uh had had actually like athletes from other teams were were already sick by that point um doesn't sound like any of the american athletes have tested positive for covid at this point which uh, you know seems like kind of a herculean feat given yeah. that, that was what was going on with the staff. And I was actually impressed, you know, you saw on the, on the feed yesterday, like they still seems like the, the U S ski team, like they still had a bunch of folks like who were available to support athletes yesterday at the finish line. Um, you know, they've always got a pretty decent crew of like volunteer physical therapists, folks like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what, a, what a nightmare. Like, I just cannot, I, I was, you know, if we can, if we get Tony Sear on this program, it would be, uh, it'd be interesting to hear just like how that was affecting athletes, just knowing that this has been going around and the risks that you like, I, I was just like surprised anyone like <clears throat> stuck around in the finish area yesterday, breathing, breathing the air. Cause you never know. No, for sure. And I think, I think it is a Herculean effort of the whole US ski team, especially, I, I don't, I don't think people understand, like this isn't Norway. If, if five staff from Norway go down with COVID, of course, it's going to affect the support staff of Norway. No question. But the support staff of Norway is like four times bigger than the support staff of maybe not four times, but three times at least bigger than the support staff of the US. So it takes a huge hit. And I'm glad we started with that because w- I'll kind of want to give like small report cards from everybody or not everybody. Cause we don't have time, but just like <clears throat> we can start with the women. And, and the reality of it is there was such mixed messaging. I, di- I don't really truly understand why athletes, but, but I mean, we've gone through these iterations ourselves in the Canadian team. When I was an athlete, like we had moments in our team where you just could not say it was like, you could not say your skis were bad. And we agreed with that in a team meeting and you'd have the weirdest interviews ever at the finish line. Your skis were obviously horrendous and no one would say your skis were bad. And then Alex Harvey completely lost his mind and went nuclear in Sochi when we had horrendous skis day after day. And of course the Quebec media, which follows Alex at the time very closely took that and ran and we had a lot of other dysfunction. Sochi was just like a dysfunctional championship for us and everything that could go wrong would go wrong. 
And after that, in the aftermath, we actually had another big meeting and a blowout and say, okay, that would probably wasn't great to do um, because it became a huge distraction for our team, staff and athletes uh, because of Alex's, well, he was honest. So then we, we came up with the fact that if you have bad skis, you do it with tact and you just say it straight out. It's like you could, there's differences. You can say it like Alex did in Sochi, like this is horse shit kind of thing. Or you can say it tactfully and go like the guys work super hard. We missed, we missed the skis today. I think everyone that knows skiing saw that. Um, it's not for lack of effort, blah, 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 blah. Like just try and do it with a bit of class. So I was really surprised. Like I'm still, uh, I still find it a conundrum. Some of the comments from Jesse Diggins throughout this whole tour. And we'll just start there. I mean, Jesse, we talked about Oberstorf already. She had the fastest time of the day, which I do not give a shit about. And anyone else that had fast times of the day, especially in those races, both men and women, it doesn't matter. Watch the race and watch how it played out. If you're coming from the back and people are chilling at the front, like even if they're not chilling at the front, you have such a huge draft effect on a course like that that's flat. You're you have people behind. So it's no surprise people from the back that that are good in that technique are gonna have fast time. So I put no weight into that. But it was a good performance. She climbed all the way back up to eighth. And then, as we discussed previously on the podcast, I was very worried for the classic races in Val de Fiem, And I think with good reason for Jesse. I mean, she had a bad sprint and she had a bad 10, uh, a bad 15K classic. She limited her losses in time back, but she finished mid-20s. And kind of that's been the story of this tour de ski. Like, she ends up finishing 11th with a really strong climb at the finish. The whole U.S. ski team, I mean, hats off to the American women. Sophia Lockley, no surprise. She was top five last year in the stage. This year, positioned herself absolutely perfectly yesterday. To like, was patient, slowly made her way to the front so she could be there if the race happened. She was <clears throat> missed the move there with with um, Claudel and, and Heidi Vang, but still was right where she needed to be and finishes on the podium for the first time. It's a it's a sideshow of a race. We talked about that. It's a weird one, but you know what? Like in a lot of things in this tour, I kind of was like real Debbie Downer about the not making it a pursuit, especially on the men's side, because it was so close this year. We could have had the most amazing drama up the hill. But then watching the women's race, I'm like, you know what? This is kind of cool. It, it is kind of cool. cool. It's, it was kind of cool. Yeah, that Lockley can cross the finish line third, knowing she's third instead of, you know, she started the day in the late 20s in the overall. And like, had it been a pursuit, maybe she would have had the third fastest time and just been pack fill essentially and who knows how yep. she did so so i actually thought it was cool that and claudel you saw how much that meant to her yeah the the french athlete first world cup victory and and she got to cross the finish line first knowing that that she was the best on the day and heidi was happy to being second she thought she missed a gear a bit but anyway diggins had a solid climb like super solid gosh like yeah. being fifth up the hill great climb rosie brennan amazing to we're going to get to her in a second but i'm just saying I'm just surprised that a seasoned pro like Jesse couldn't just say it tactfully early. Like, listen, we're dealing with some things here. I don't feel my skis are running where they need to be. We have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of staff sick right now. You don't have to say COVID and go into their whole <clears throat> health details, but you say we're a small staff and we're struggling right now. I'm trying to limit my losses. It's really challenging. Thanks for the questions. I, I feel fine, but I'm dealing with some things that are a little beyond my control. Uh, but instead she decided not to do that and, and created kind of like a pit for tat with the Norwegian tabloids that we've covered already. And I, I honestly think that drama is just, it's not necessary in a tour. You need to save your energy. And 
I don't know if that cost Jesse or not, but it, it was, it was a distraction. No question. And she struggled in classic. She's been good in classic in P1 and she was not good in classic in this tour to ski, whether it was the skis, whether there's other things. The fact of the matter is Jesse was a shadow of herself in classic during this entire tour to ski. And she finishes 11th because of that. And uh, I had her picked for the win, <laughs> winning the whole thing. So, um, but that said, always a struggle, always a struggle when you're dealing with uh, difficulties that are beyond your control. That said, I want you to tell me about Rosie Brennan because fourth in the overall tour to ski, an amazing climb. And if you go back and you study Rosie Brennan up the big hill in years past, like no one would have pegged her to be top six on the day, not even close. And she throws down a fantastic climb. She ends up fourth. I know how hard fourth is at the Tour de Ski because I finished fourth at the Tour de Ski once upon a time. It's a tough place to finish. But given the information we know now and given the professionalism and, and focus on the goal that Rosie did during this whole, I know she can hide behind Jesse, right? Like that's the thing. She doesn't have to stick her neck out and take all the heat because Jesse is the big star of the U.S. ski team. But what an even and fantastic performance with Rosie, regardless of the issues going on. And now that we know more, I'm actually in awe. I, th I think the performance of Rosie Brennan goes down as one of the most impressive performances of her career. And she's won World Cups and stuff. But th this was this was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think that the results and the performances like it's a, it's such a study in contrast like I think in in any even in sort of normal times you know like uh, Jesse is someone who you know she has the charisma she has the loyal following and the sponsorship the national sponsorships and and you know Rosie comes with results that are almost as good and it's like you know, we, we spend half an hour on the podcast talking about Jesse and then we're like, oh yeah, Rosie Brennan. She just absolutely crushed everyone. I mean, I'm my, my heart breaks a little bit for Rosie a little bit at like a fourth place finish, like just off, off the podium. And then, you know, she had the fourth place finish in the mass start in Val de Fiume as well. The, um, the classic race and, you know, she looked fantastic. I, and I mean, you know, I think ultimately like those are results she and everyone following American skiing should be more than satisfied with. I mean, those were, like you said that she was, she was, you know, gritting it out so hard on that final climb. Like I thought it was awesome just to, to be able to, to be able to watch uh, three American women, like at the front of that race yesterday, like that, and just playing off each other. I don't know. And I, people have asked about like uh, Rosie's relationship with Jesse and I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know much about it. I mean, I think, I think uh, it's kind of interesting. I just think it's kind of interesting. You know, they, they're just, they're so different. And I think I don't get the sense that they have any, that there's any like beef between Rosie and Jesse, but you know, you just see them doing things so differently. And I, I actually like that they seem to sort of function professionally as like colleagues really well, even though I think it's like clear that they're not like besties, you know, um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I, my fingers are crossed for Rosie Brennan for the rest of the season that like, she's come so close. I mean, she had a fourth place finish in the, in the sprint last year at the, at the Olympics. And then, you know, similarly in the, in the 30 K at the Olympics, you know, did so much work and then was like not rewarded. And I, I just, I want to see Rosie like 
get rewarded because she is clearly like such a hard worker and and so dedicated and I mean obviously you know she's been on the podium this year she's fourth in the tour to ski but I I want to see her with like medals and and trophies you know no no of course we all do because uh it's a great story and we had her on the podcast once upon a time too I, I, it's just a great story of perseverance and I think she's a real inspiration for a lot of young athletes and I think she's also a I mean, so it's Jesse, don't get me wrong, but I think Rosie's a real inspiration for a community because like, it's easy to get behind someone like Jesse or Alex or her Clabo that's just beast from day one or Petter. Like it, it, it's, it's easy to understand why these people continue because they adversity. Yeah, of course, like people get sick, they get a little injured. They have like one bad weekend or they have a championship that doesn't go their way. And that's adversity, but there's adversity and then there's adversity. And, and I think Rosie kind of, not kind of, I, I think Rosie is a, is an amazing inspiration for that, that being kicked off the national team a number of times and feeling like perhaps the community lost belief in her, but she believed in herself and then some personal struggles that she's gone through as well. And it, that, that that's here nor there, because as you age, you we're all going to go through some personal struggles, but, but I'm just going to say that like, um, Anna Shirsty Calvo too is the kind of the same, like an older athlete that's really breaking through. And everyone's like, where did you come from? And anyone that had followed Rosie prior when she started really breaking through in her late 20s, you'd be like, where is this coming from? But those that know her know exactly where it's coming from. She's been I, there all along. She's been she's been struggling to break through. She never lost belief and she had good people around her that that also believed in her. And and Calvo's the same. And I'm so inspired every time Calvo takes the start line and i'm this year I, i'm rooting for her so hard because i know what's i know the work that she, that she's laid down behind her and and the people that have supported her and rosie's the same so fourth in the tour to ski of course you want that little pointy trophy but at the end of the day like alex has the pointy trophy i don't know where it is in, in quebec city i don't because i was fourth he was third uh <laughs> not in the same season but but really i'm i'm proud of the I'm, i was proud of the tour to ski i did that year and i know rosie is as well she may be a little disappointed but that said, the, the women that beat her, this is going to be a little bit of a different podcast. We're not going to go through every race super fine detail. But, but you know, Frida Carlson wins the Tour de Ski with a horrendous climb. She just totally gets shattered. Um, up the and final and her at the finish was oh, like, We're, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She was 15th and she completely came unglued. She was, but wins the Tour de Ski. Humongous performance. This is huge for Sweden. This is huge for Frida Carlson. She was the queen in waiting after Terezio hug. Everyone had such high expectations. She's delivered this year, but she's also had some races where Thierry Lunasvang has just taken her name in, in a lot of these races. But at the end of the day, there was no touching Frida. <clears throat> she wins the overall tour de ski. Niskanen, great tour de ski. Speaking of like an understated tour. I mean, Kirtu was super understated. I feel like this whole tour had an amazing climb. Secure second, and Tirol Lindesvang is is the story, the darling of the season. It, it, I mean, it's incredible. Every single time, I'm like, oh, this isn't going to go well. Last year, up the climb, she was over two minutes adrift to Heidi Vang. This year, yeah, she came apart a little bit with 700 meters to go, but definitely a much stronger Tirol Lindesvang. She secures that last podium spot for the women. I, I just feel like the women's competition was fantastic from start to finish this season. I loved it. I also feel so bad for Parmakowski was having a great end of the tour only to get nuked by some stomach virus or some stomach problem and, and ended up having to drop out after showing such great form, especially in Oberstorf. That was heartbreaking for, 
for the veteran Finn. But the Finnish team had a solid, solid performance. And I, I just thought the women's event had everything. And it had drama. We had drama with Jesse that we talked about. And, like, we talked a little bit about the social media with, like, <clears throat> anonymous modern poets and uh, quoting and stuff. And, and, then, and then now with Frida Carlson at the finish line, completely coming on dude. And I was my, I don't know what you thought, but like when I first thought, I'm like, here we go again. Here's another Frida Carlson moment for us all to enjoy. But you know what? Apparently she actually did lose consciousness for, for a minute. That's what's been reported. And so this is, so then I really checked myself and I'm like, you know what? This is, this is serious. And I'm glad she's feeling okay. And it took hours for her to come back around. And this was no joke. This wasn't a let's throw up our hands and just be like, Oh my God, do we really need to make a show of this? Like when you're losing consciousness for real at the end of a race and people are worried and doctors and paramedic staff are worried and getting you out of there, this is not some sort of joke. So that was, that was really scary to see actually. And, and um, something that you don't think about. I mean, we see, we see, Tour de France riders going up the Stelvio like multiple times in the Giro d'Italia and uh, the Stelvio for people that don't know is like an insane climb that goes up over 2,700 meters from a valley floor of about a thousand meters. So it's crazy climb and they're doing it. And you think like 14 minutes up an Alpine ski hill, like, come on, you should be fine. But no, you know what takes a load and you don't know where people are at. You don't know what she's dealing with. And that was really scary moment. So fun to see her win the tour and, and be okay. After I want to ask you about this fist for christ why is this just like the shitting on fist podcast i don't know but you do not you cannot have a podium you cannot do a podium if you don't have three people there you delay that podium shot you say to everyone um you have a men's race that's coming like in an hour and a half like just put both podiums together change change the structure of your production when you have the winner of the tour de ski absent and you say Frida Carlson, then you play a Swedish national anthem. And then you see two women that are over the moon with Niskanen and Unis Veng on the podium. And the top spot of the podium is absent because she's having a health crisis there and then. <laughs> because the sport killed her. <laughs> yeah. What, what are you doing? That is like, this is Mickey Mouse Club. It makes us look, it makes cross-country skiing look like the hack job it's become. And they need to do something about that because those images cannot happen in a professional sport it's outrageous i mean we don't really care about the swedes getting pumped about cross-country skiing at this point anymore do we i mean there there are a hundred million germans that now are uh you know that that's that's where the money is and katarina henning's winning race so i guess you know i get goosebumps i get goosebumps thinking about that tell us about that race because the the 15k classic for women was a contrast to the men's 15k classic i must say uh I loved that 15K classic for women. And you want to just take us through some highlights? You mentioned Henning winning. Huge yeah. win. Awesome. The, I mean, the women's races, I mean, I, it goes without saying at this point that they they have been riveting. And, you know, that race, it just felt like you watch people take turns at the front, like try to break the pack and kill themselves. Um, Niskanen, I, I would totally echo like what you said. I mean, I feel like Niskanen's always kind of been overshadowed by Parmakoski and yeah, she has the last same last name as, as her brother Evo, uh, and almost like has won the same amount of stuff, you know, like she has Olympic medals to her name, like had that absolutely awesome performance, uh, in, in Beijing last year where she like came so close to beating, 
Therese Yohog. And it's like, I just feel like Parmakonsky's the superstar and Niskanen's kind of the afterthought. And I just, I love, you know, I love, I love watching the Finns race. Like, I feel like those guys are also like, they're super professional. They're kind of low key. They don't, they're not flashy. They don't seem to ever get involved in any controversy. They just, they race really hard. Like you always see them wiping like snot and spit and stuff off their faces. So, um, that race was awesome. You know, you had that, that small lead pack that formed with Rosie Brennan was in it too. And, and just kind of a knockdown drag out race all the way to the finish line. But then Hennig just with the, the timing and tactics that Hennig had in that race, she, she really looked like the strongest person out of that pack and, and won that race on the home stretch. So if, um, if the folks on the American broadcast are correct, first German race, uh, first German woman to win a world cup since 2009, 13 years. And again, we've said it enough times, but Germany being the audience that kind of powers the entire sports market, it's totally crucial for Hennig to win a race like that. And, you know, just a ton of promising athletes on the, on the German team right now really exciting that race was awesome to watch i thought yeah i totally agree and and the german market of course the biggest sponsors the biggest companies in europe are based in germany and cross country skiing needs to tap into the tv audience but also the bigger the bigger companies that kind of fuel winter sport and the thing is it's a good problem that germany has but they're good in a lot of winter sports they're great in biathlon they're good in alpine skiing luge bobsled are big nordic combined jumping they're good in a lot a lot not to mention football like soccer is a winter sport here in europe and you're competing against that so to see henning and, and like yeah of course the win is nice and it, it's great to follow along like you said 13 years is quite the drought for such a powerful nation in cross-country skiing especially when i first jumped into a senior as a senior in the early 2000s like germany really was at the apex of their power in the sport that was their golden age um, that said, I, I, I'm just the, how the race played out was so fun. It, they were, they got that, they, they distanced themselves, that group of four, and then they were working well together and people were making smart tactical moves. Like you said, tough, tough break for Rosie there to be, to be, uh, the odd man out and fourth, but still a wonderful performance by her. Catherine Stewart Jones, first international top 10, 10th place for the Canadian I'm over the moon. That, that is also someone I've been following this season that has been so much fun to see her really finally get the confidence and the be comfortable here in Europe and know she belongs. And it, every week it, she's putting together such solid races. And at the end of it all, she, she delivers a 10th place, which is fantastic. She ends up finishing 18th in the overall tour to ski, which is a wonderful, wonderful finish. And now actually in the distance cup standings, Cause I know some people that aren't from Canada um, and don't haven't been following Catherine Stewart Jones are probably like Devin shut up with the Homer, like cheering on the home crowd there, but she's lying 15th in the distance cup standings, which means she's in the, she's in the red group for distance for a woman, which has not happened in distance skiing since man, like Becky and Sarah Renner. And that's going back also more than 15 years. So this is, this is uh, <clears throat> great for her, and it's tough that she's kind of alone there um, in Canada because the other women that were at the Tour de Ski for Canada, Daria Beattie and uh, Lilian, they they kind of well, it was a train wreck. They they didn't have they didn't have the results they wanted. But Lilian is a young athlete that we can 
look to the future and, and Daria is kind of on the last legs of her career. And, and she can say at the end that she, she competed in the tour de ski and she tried her best, but it, it just didn't go her way. But yeah. So from the women's side of things, just an amazing, amazing competition. The sprint also to see Lotta in this Vang win. Speaking of, we were talking about how Kyoto has been so impressive and fun and like, wow, who would have thought, but how would it feel to be her identical twin sister? And your twin sister is like, leading the overall world cup. She's not right now. Frida's barely ahead of her after winning the tour to ski, but regardless, like Tyrell having the yellow bib, Tyrell on the podium a lot, then Tyrell being top five in every single race. And you're kind of like smattering one podium, but then one race in like 12th and all over the place. And then in the sprint, Norway sweeps the podium, the young Norwegian Mirvold in, uh, in third, which was a great finish for her, especially in a classic sprint. And then twins, going one, two. I don't know if that's ever happened before. I don't think that's happened before in cross-country skiing and you saw how much it meant to them. So I, I just thought to wrap up the women's competition, I, I thought that was also a lot of fun. I know some people are kind of sick of Norway winning and stuff, but on the women's side, this was not something people expected this season and they're sweeping podiums and classic sprints. The twins are going one, two. The, the women's, the story of the Norwegian women's team this year is, is really one of the stories of the season. They, they, there, was, there was a lot of talk saying they wouldn't get World Cup podiums whatsoever this season none this was published tons in the norwegian media and look at us now not us but look at the team now They're, they've they've had a fantastic fantastic season so far and uh what a sprint by them yeah no i like i think the idea that we could be excited about a norwegian podium sweep uh <laughs> but i think I was, it was, it was an awesome race. And I don't know, I feel like in contrast to the men where we're always trashing, like, you know, nine Norwegians in the top 10, like it was, that was, that was still a great race to watch too. I wanted to just quickly um, uh, note that the, as much as, yeah, maybe it does suck to finish fourth in the tour to ski. Uh, you still get paid. Uh, Rosie Brandon makes 30,000 Swiss francs from uh, her fourth place finish in the tour to ski, which is like, 32,000 US dollars. So hope she's feeling like she is getting rewarded for TV time for effort. I mean, that I, I, for an American cross-country skier, that's probably at least 50% of what you might make in a year. So pretty, pretty awesome to see that, uh, that Rosie made out like that. Um, that's all I got on the, on the women at this point. Yeah, for sure. And before we move on to the men, I just got a text from, from Tony, like he's, finally made it to the destination, but doesn't have his bags yet. He's like, doesn't think this is going to happen. So here's what we're going to do. People that were hoping Tony to, to be on the pod. I'm going to beg Nat to next weekend chat with Tony. And we'll just do a whole podcast between the world cup races where we just have a, a good fireside chat slash digitally <laughs> with Tony and, and get his, get his remarks and, and how it felt to break through completely. Cause we're going to transition to the men and Tony's here was, was a big story there. Um, so people that were hoping to hear his, his voice in this one, they're going to have to wait a week and, and we'll just do a full podcast where we just chat with him next week. That said, before we move on to the men, <clears throat> you mentioned prize money. And this is, this has also been uh, a hot take of the tour to ski old timers like me, grumpy old men sitting in our lawn chairs on the, on the porch and just screaming, um, would, would say also would say that what happened to the tour because it's been defang. It was exciting. The women's was awesome. Like we said, but it is just, it's just such a shadow of its former self. Um, really the 
they're all races that we see all the time. There's no prologues, there's no city sprints, there's no long races that really bring things together. It's gotten kind of boring, honestly, like as, as a, as an idea, it's an idea that's been kind of kneecapped, I think, even though this one on the women's side was exciting per se, it would also have been exciting if they did like Cortina Toblock or, or some, or a prologues and stuff, but prize money wise, the first tour to ski was like 135, 137,000 Swiss francs for the win. And each stage win was 5,000 Swiss francs. And now it's over half. It's gone down by more than 50% the prize money. So it's like deflation to, I, it, it, I don't know what it is. It's a disaster is what it is prize money wise. Uh, and uh, stage wins have gone down as well. You don't get 5,000 Swiss francs for a win. You get 3,000. So that's also kind of scary development I think, I think, I think that there's some magic. It shouldn't be them. a surprise. No, no, it shouldn't be a surprise, but it just, it, it seems stupid to make prize money a, a big thing. Cause it's, it's really not about the money, but the, those early editions of the tour de ski. Yeah. We had like nine stages. We were traveling all over the place. We didn't know how athletes would, would recover or if they would, or how the races would play out. So there was a lot of excitement, but the money in it was outrageous for cross country skiing. And now, I mean, I just think this really needs to, you know, that next year when there's no championship whatsoever, I mean, I want to see a longer tour. I want to see prize money way bigger. And I want to see races that we don't see every time to see who the best complete skier is. And how do we do that? Long, these point to point races are a ton of fun. It's great TV. It also brings the overall closer together. A lot of the times, if it's a pursuit style, like it was Cortina Toblock. Let the women do the whole thing instead of doing that stupid, like from the top down, like they did back in the days when it was only 15K or 20K for the women. Um, and then prologues was a great, like what a great idea. We never raced like a 3.75 or a 5K. And and it, there's so much question marks between that. Like who's going to be good? Is a sprinter going to be able to hold on? Like would a Jew be able to fight for top five in a race like that? Or is Holin going to be able to step down and be good? Because his ZO2 max is, breaks the machine at so high. Um, so I hope you see some of those changes, uh, in the future, but, uh, like you said, great for Rosie to, to cash in a little bit for sure. And of course, like people at home going like, wow, like they don't make that much money. No, Jesse Diggins is doing just fine. Johannes Klebo is making millions of dollars. <laughs> like if you're the best in the world, don't, uh, do not feel sorry for these, these top athletes, uh, in cross country skiing, they're making, they're making like seven figures. They are, they're not, it's, isn't, uh, it's, it's, you're not hurting, you're not hurting for cash, but some of the, some of the ones that are quote unquote on the bubble, like, like a Rosie or myself back in the day, of course, being, being fourth in the tour to ski and getting a prize money like that helps immensely. When the best skiers in the world want to go faster, they turn to Fisher's Speedmax Helium system. The all new Fisher Speedmax boots feature an enhanced carbon cuff to provide optimal torsional stiffness and increased power transfer to the ski. The refined inner shoe provides compelling fit and performance. Are you ready to find out how much faster this World Cup-ready combo will make you next season? Go to fishersports.com to learn more about the Fisher Speedmax Helium system. Let's move on to the men. Yeah. Uh, should we, uh, should we start with the sprint? I feel like, man, I feel like everything is like so many days ago at this point and buried under, under a haze of, uh, of weekend and backcountry skiing. So maybe you should start us off with the, with the men's sprint. Sure. The men's sprint was awesome. That's what you need to know. 
And I'm going to start off with right out of the gun. Two stories, two stories in the men's sprint that were just phenomenal as a North American ski fan. First, I'll say, when in a classic sprint, have you had three North Americans in the semifinals? So out of 12 athletes, you had three. You had Ogden, JC, and Tony from Canada. So two Americans and a Canadian in the semifinals in the classic sprint, which is so exciting. And just when you didn't think it could get even more exciting, Ben Ogden in his semifinal goes for broke, like not doesn't go for broke, like goes bananas in a semifinal, obviously trying, like a lot of people were going like, what the hell are you doing? But he, he was going for that lucky loser spot. He wanted to get himself into his first final. And it was, it was something that was just insane in many, many ways, but also so impressive. And so, so in character for him too. I thought, I thought it was just like, the tough man image, like I said, like he, he epitomizes the uh, a, a Bruce Springsteen song. Like I feel like half of Bruce Springsteen's whole catalog could have just been written about Ben Ogden. And I mean, seeing him take all those guys by surprise right from the first meter and up that first hill in Val de Fiam, just shattering the field. Like how many times do you see Johannes Kleibo look like, oh, oh no, what do I, what do I do? Right. And that was like how that went down. It was awesome. Yeah. And it almost worked. He, he ran out of steam. He ran out of steam and he's really lucky actually that we weren't on the full, full classic. Oh, sorry. We weren't on the full, full championship sprint course is a little shorter than what it was in 2013. So in time, it was only like just over two and a half minutes. And Benny's a little lucky that it was a little shorter. Cause like, man, he, he didn't just run out of gas at the end there. Like it, he, he came unglued. I have to read this hilarious a bit texting with Alex a bunch and, uh, after the sprint, I had that's why I was a bit distracted. I had to try to find this. He writes this about um, Ben Ogden. I write him a, just some banter. And I said, Benny, though, that kid's for real. What a wild man. Ha ha. And then Harv writes, ha ha. Benny skied like a junior in his semi trying to get trying to make the lucky loser. But yeah, he's impressive and classic, but his technique's hilarious. And I think that just kind of sums up Ben Ogden. The guy is hilarious. He skis hilariously, but the but he's skis with his heart on his sleeve and I was really, really impressed. And I think it's cool that he tries as a young athlete like that because it's going to work one of these days. And when it does, he's going to be, he's so young, Matt, like he's so young and raw. And I think, you know, fast forward five years into the future. And it, it's, uh, I mean, we could be, we could be seeing like a Bill Coke, I mean, Bill Coke invented skating, blah, 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 and won the overall world cup. So maybe that's a bit rich to say, but I think, I think we could see, I think we could see Ben take the next step up and the next step up is, is hitting the podium every once in a while. That said, another crazy story. Wait, hold please. on. I want to, I okay. want to jump I wanna in, come, please. Yeah. yeah get, come, let's, I want to come back to stay that. Here. Two things. Like, I feel like we uh, send us your best uh, Ben Ogden, like memes. Cause I feel like, you know, he could be, you know, total star of, of the internet of the cross country ski internet after that of like uh, cross country ski Reddit. The other thing I wanted to ask was we, we got a, I thought a very like perceptive email from Chris Freeman, who uh, American legendary cross country skier. And uh, he raised just a quick question, which was like, he sort of said, yeah, you know, uh, I don't remember exactly what he said about Ben Ogden, but he basically was like, yeah, maybe like some issues with hand position. But other than that, like, actually, Devin, what is your exact beef with Ben Ogden's technique? Fill us in on where he could improve. 
Well, here's for Chris. I'm calling your bluff. Re- I'm calling your bluff. Oh, oh, no, you, no, no, you please call me every day. I mean, the last piece of the text from Alex is he wrote, and this is like shots fired, but he's like, it's like Hoff and Jesse taught him how to classic ski. Cause he just like, he has energy all over the place. Oh, if anyone yeah. remembers how Hoff was skiing, it's, uh, it's leave something to be desired at times too. Here's the thing with Ben. He does some things well. He has a lot of upper body power, which is shocking because he is definitely not in any sort of linear classical physics <laughs> definition of force vectors going exactly where they would need to be. His arms, like Chris said, are way too wild and they're, they're coming like way out from his body and he's not keeping things close to his body. That's one thing. And you're just not that strong. Your arms actually just aren't that strong. And that's why you have to keep them a lot closer to your body to keep it on the bigger muscles. And your bigger muscles in this case are like, of course, your shoulders and your abdominal muscles. That, that's super important. And then that's also connected with the biggest muscles in your body, which is your glute muscles and stuff like that. Of course, it's all kind of connected through the hips and stuff. That's one thing too. He can be like, spaghetti in his midsection and and you see way too much side to side movement not just like wild arms but in his core he's incredibly strong he's an incredibly strong kid but when things start coming undone he loses it a lot in the core and i think that's what harv was joking around about diggins like diggins this year and the last couple years like when she's in shape and things are working well like she is way more stable in her core than she used to be but when things go sideways like like they did in some of the stages of the tour de ski, if you want to look in Oberstorf or, or even in Val de Fiem, like where Jesse's not skiing super well, like take a look at where her hips are, take a look at where her abs, her, like her midsection is. And, and then, and then just see, is she stable? Like Claybo stable? Is she stable? Like even, uh, and, uh, and Calvo who is super stable in classic where, where her midsection when she's climbing, it's all over the place. It's like a wet noodle. And that again, like force vectors for talking physics, basic physics, you're losing a lot of energy that's not going the right direction. Ben Ogden has the same issue. And then the last thing is, even though in double polling, you'd be pretty strong, like not just pretty strong. The guy's been like seven, he's been top 10, like a bunch. He's sitting like 11th, I think in the sprint standings. Like he's, he's amazing right now this season, but he's raw talent because so here's what you want. Like we're now we're going way into the weeds, but like in double polling, you want your hands kind of to hit your hips, hit your hips. And then when they hit their hips, it's kind of like a cue for your hips to start moving up together with your arms to get into a strong position. And if that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, try and I'm going to leave it there and just try and watch Claybo in slow motion and just watch that his hands and hips are kind of coming up together into a nice high position. He's super stable in his core. He has low shoulders and he loads the poles. The poles are almost vertical, you know, into the snow. They're not super out from his body. They're quite kind of close to his body, but with low shoulders and he's keeping on the big muscles and he's generating an immense amount of force. Ben Ogden, (laughs) Ben Ogden does it once in a while. Okay, Freeman, I'll give you that. Once in a while he does. But at the end of these races, when his technique's kind of falling apart in classic, in double pole especially, you see this problem. He's not, like, I'm just repeating myself now, so I'm going to stop. But a little too wild, and and his timing's a bit off. And and so that leaves a lot to be desired. And that's why I'm saying, like, I mean... Bill Coke was maybe a bit of a stretch, like I said, but there's, there's world cup podiums and not just one there. There's a, there is a lot of world cup podiums, which of course can be championship podiums in a guy like Ben Ogden. Cause he has obviously an insane capacity. I don't know what his VO two max numbers are and stuff. And his uh, threshold, like velocity at threshold numbers and everything are, but I mean, 
to be able to have the results that he's doing now at such a young age, it shows that he's he's got a lot of raw talent to work with. And once he gets his technique together a bit more, I mean, the sky's the limit. Remember, like the Jesse Diggins, go back and watch Jesse Diggins ski classic as a 22-year-old. Go back and watch Terezio Huggski classic as an 18-year-old and watch them later in their career. I mean, Jesse has medals in classic sprints now. Like, think about that. Like, Terezio Hug became the best technician in, in women's skiing. And Ben Ogden has so much to go with that it's going to be so exciting to see him. So Chris, buddy, <laughs> see it again with a fresh pair of eyes. Cause I mean, it's, but he's fun though. He's fun to watch. It's just a lot of movement. It's hard to follow along. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 the best thing about what Ben Ogden did was that he gave everyone who watches cross country skiing, something to talk about for the next three days. I mean, it was, the, it was an awesome move and, you know, you can argue with like, was that the right decision or not? But, you know, I feel like I always think uh, seeing someone like seize the initiative like that and have a plan, even if the plan doesn't work, like I got, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't, I don't have any beef with that. So, um, I mean, we saw, um, we saw the like overall results of that sprint. So, uh, of course, Clyba wins, but then, um, man, I'm like, it's it's early here, Devin. I'm I'm like falling back asleep. Basically, um, we 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 saw Cal Halverson uh, on the on the podium again. Um, I thought the ski speed at the at the end of that sprint, I thought like looked you know pretty significant differences. And then uh, and then Simone Mussolini, Mussolini, uh, everyone's favorite like 24 year old Italian who was also on the podium and like shocking results in Biderstol and was was back on the podium in Italy, much I think to the delight of what seemed like actually kind of a relatively small home crowd. Um, I don't know how worried we should be about that, but um, I don't know. I noticed that. Yeah, it was an amazing result from him. He's from just up the valley. So that's the valley that he's from. He's not from right in Ziano, the Fiemme, like the, the closest little town or Cavalese, but he's he's really, really close to, to Val de Fiemme. They grew up there. And to see him back on the podium like that was fantastic. And... Callie Halverson, man, like he's back. I don't know how he did that. I do not know how he did that. He finished third in the overall tour to ski in 2015. That's eight years ago. So it's been years and years and years since he's been skiing at a level like this. And he looks so good. He looked amazing in the, in the classic sprint. And like you said, with ski speed and stuff, I, I almost, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know if he'd be able to beat Claybo, but he looked damn good in that last hundred meters there. Like, uh, what a great performance by Calais. It's awesome performance. And then the story, the second biggest story, well, the biggest story for me as a Canadian, of course, is Tony Ant- Antoine Sierre. That's why we wanted him on the podcast to break it down for us. We'll have to be patient and wait, wait a bit to get the whole story from him. But I just love the idea that, the guy has never made the heats in a world cup classic sprint in his life. And he's not 20. I mean, Tony's like mid twenties at his age and skis a quarterfinal, like a champ skis, a great semifinal. And it gets to the final and sure, maybe, maybe it was a little too passive. And he, I think he was a little too passive in that final, but I mean, I, can you blame the kid? He, he's never made the heats ever. And next thing you know, he's in the classic sprint final with the likes of Claybo or the likes of Calla Halverson that have just like an immense amount of experience. So it was great foreshadowing for things to come from Sierra, but it was uh, amazing. Ama- it's so amazing. I, I'm not lost for words. Like this doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't make sense that you've never made 
a classic sprint heats in your life and then you're making it to the final. But like we were texting back and forth a bit, Nat, in the tour de ski, strange things yeah. can happen. And yep. that's what's cool. That's what makes it kind of exciting. Like you even see like you see Kruger in the heats in classic sprints and stuff like what? Like, yep. obviously, that's never going to happen in a normal World Cup, but it, it, it adds a little bit of spice and it adds a little bit of excitement, which I which I do think is really fun to follow along. So I thought the classic sprint was was great for the men. I mean, Claybo, we should say to just to like bury the lead or whatever. He wins six stages in a row. And if you hate the Russians, that's fine. But we also miss <laughs> we also miss having the Russians a little bit with how some of these races play out, because if Bolshinov was there if Trevokin and Ustyugov and stuff like does Claybo win six races in a row? Maybe. I mean, he is that good. He's the best skier that's ever lived. Um, better than Bjorn Dali, better than Petter, um, even better than Bolshinov. And Bolshinov is amazing. Um, but the fact of the matter is Claybo is a notch above, but, but how the mass starts played out and moving over to the, the 15 K classic, I feel like it was like a different, it was a different event than, than the women. Like, People fake tried in the 15K and then they looked around and said, just like in Oberstorf, what's the point? It's fast conditions, not going to be able to get away. Now I'm just kind of chilling and we're just going to wait for a shootout. And that had some charm for, again, for me, a Canadian, but it's still, I don't know. What did you think of the 15K Classic? No, I I agree. I mean, I, I had some observations. I mean, I, I think the... I like that at least like a couple people went to the front that were not Clybo. I mean, I have this, I have this kind of beef with men's ski racing in particular, but like if you're in a pack of men and you're in front of Johannes Clybo and you're not like 10 yards off the front and you're not Hans Christer Holland. I'm like, what are you doing? Like Hugo Lapalu, I think, um, you know, the, the French guy, I just like you, anytime, anytime I see like the men's pack, like slow down and then someone who's like, not a legitimate contender for, for the win in a distance race, like make a move. So you saw that from like Lapalu, uh, you saw it from like Everson, I think in, uh, was it an Oberstorf or was that in Balmaster when, or maybe it was earlier in the, I think, I think actually maybe that was like in one of the world cup races earlier this year where the pack basically like came to a standstill and everyone's staring around waiting. And then it's like Emil Everson goes and you're like, Oh yeah, that move, like good, good luck getting that to stick dude. Same with Hugo Lapalu. I'm like, why? Um, and I just think like, I, if I were coach on the world cup, I would be yelling at my athletes anytime they're making a tactical move like that, just because you know, if Clive was in the pack, like it's coming to get you, I'm sorry. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like it was, it was actually, I thought it was kind of fun to see just kind of random people at the front of that race. But I mean, I agree with you. It, it was not, that was not a race I, you know, would have paid a lot of money to watch and knowing that the outcome was, you know, almost felt pretty predestined. I, you know, I did, I, I did think like the, the finish, I mean, Francesco de Fabiani, um, uh, finishing third, uh, that was his first podium in a very long while. Like the Fabiani we, back when, um, we had, uh, I used to play, we used to have our own fantasy cross country ski league in Anchorage and, uh, you know, shout out to my buddy Anson, who it was really impressive. Like he had this huge Excel spreadsheet. It would like auto ingest all the results from, 
from FIS and and there and and do everything automatically. Um, there were a couple of years, at least one, where I had the Fabiani on my team, and you know we we had this draft every year, like we'd all meet up and like drink beer and eat jalapeno poppers and draft folks, and um, you know there are some draft picks. There were obviously, you know, you want Jesse Diggins, you want Clybo, and like somehow I ended up with the Fabiani and that guy like had a couple of years uh, back, maybe like three, four years ago where I was cleaning up with the Fabiani. It was awesome. Um, and then he's kind of been off the map a little bit and, and just sort of resurgent um, in this <clears throat> in this part of the season. So, you know, nice to see another Italian name. I mean, I, I feel like Italy, Germany. Uh, we've seen this really resurgent like French team this year. Uh, it's been it, it, as much as we have complained about uh, Norway dominating the sport. Um, it's been nice to see like some new, new and different names and just seeing how pumped all of the people on the French team were about the results from uh, not just from Delphine Claudel yesterday, but um now I'm forgetting the name of the French dude that was also on the podium for time of the day, but like people were, they were stoked. There was a crazy amount of celebration going on. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I appreciated, you know, seeing Sear up there, seeing DeFabiani in the mix. Like uh, the, the last like couple K of that race were legitimately rad to watch. So I, it's like, we just could have made it 10 K instead of uh, 15, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. The last few K were great because you wanted to see that people could be like, are you going to get yourself into position? Like you had to get yourself into position. And and you saw guys do that. Tony being, I mean, I think I think it was amazing. Like like I was texting a little bit with Tony before, after the sprint. And he, he was like, oh, I was too passive in that, in that, in the sprint final and and not, not willing to take a risk. And then he made every single decision right. He made every decision right in that 15K. And again, this guy has never been top 10 in a distance race on the World Cup in his life. And he's racing with the big dogs and positioning himself in the exact right place to be every single time. Ends up finishing fourth, which is just such a huge result. And yeah, he was disappointed, which I kind of get as an athlete, but as a retired athlete, I don't get because you also have to be realistic here, man. Like you, you, <laughs> you're, you're torching guys that made poor tactical decisions with a Palmer list bigger than yours. Cal Halverson being, being that person. I mean, after what he did in the sprint and after the way he was skiing in that 15 K he should have been on the podium, but he made some poor tactical decisions. Poroma leading into that big downhill. He knows he's going to get swallowed up by everybody. And it's a rookie mistake. And that's exactly what happens. And, and he gets punted down to fifth making a bad tactical decision. Tony did everything right. And he got beat by three guys that were just better than him on the day. And that's kind of tough to swallow when you're an athlete that has like 25 top tens in your career. But when you have no top tens in your career and no top fives in your career in distance, it, it was such a career day for Tony. And it was so amazing to see it. The Canadian men struggled in this tour de ski and, and with the Russians not being there and races going day after day and some top performers not at their best like Mosby who has been so so solid this whole season top 10 in almost everything the young Norwegian fell apart in the tour de ski that no one would have really thought that that was going to happen Emma Leverson man like not good and there's other names too that just weren't at their best so it was a great chance to to pick up some good results and, and the rest of the Canadian crew was not able to do it on on the distance side Graham Ritchie qualified in both sprints which was great 
Um, but the other guys in distance, like really underperformed. What can you say? Um, I mean, so, so that, and before we move on to the final climb and wrap it up, we forgot to mention in the sprint, one of the craziest stories that happened, Oroma gets pipped for skating and gets a yellow card. And then in the same sprint, totally cuts off, like cuts off, doesn't even begin to describe what he did, like jumps on the tips, essentially takes out Chapaz of France and Chapaz has no chance to stay on his feet, like no chance in hell. He hits the deck and Poroma, who was sitting seventh in the overall tour standings, gets slapped with relegation. He gets disqualified, but in the tour, you don't get disqualified because then you'd be out of the whole competition, but you get slapped with a three minute penalty destroying his entire chances to be top five in the tour de ski, which looked very realistic and, and kind of destroys his whole overall tour de ski. But at the same time, dude, you got two yellow cards in one race and yeah, it's a stiff penalty to pay. But at the other time, at the other side of the coin is being a ski like an idiot twice in the same race, you're kind of lucky you don't get kicked right out of the tour. And I'm glad they don't, but, but still I felt my heart goes, you know how, if this is the Jesse Diggins appreciation podcast at times, it's also the poor appreciation podcast at times. There's not many bad things I have to say about him. He's, he's so well and seems to have a cool head, but like, you know, like we, we, not, we, not, we, not that day in the sprint, he did not have a cool head breaking his pole into this, in the qualification of the finish. And then just like skating like an idiot and taking people out. Like oof, it was, he wasn't at his best. He, the young Swede was not at his best in that sprint day. Poor guy. I'm, I'm all for it. I'd say like, you know, we could use a little more like sloppy drama in the men's. Field and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it sounded like, uh, it sounded like Shapaz was like, pissed about that um i actually before we move on to the final climb also wanted to, to um just again point out and i know we've been there already and we've seen it in this tour to ski but like ben ogden 19th uh in that race for the usa like this is not a the, the val de fiam courses are not this is not a course where like you can hide your sprinter fitness on these climbs and just to continue to see Ben Ogden like being competitive in distance races. Like last year, you know, that guy, I don't think anyone would ever have said, you know, we expect to see Ben Ogden like contending for podiums and and skiing with the like, you know, he beat Shirota in that race, like contending with these these top dudes. So just like the the potential that he has and it's it's just really exciting. I think as an American to see that that guy, you know, is probably gonna be contending not just in in sprint races but in in distance races too like i feel like that that was really exciting and then i don't know how how deep you want to go on the on the final climb i actually i felt like the the men's race like for the overall that ended up turning into like a pretty exciting thing i i think it you know i almost i agree where i i was kind of watching the race yesterday and feeling like as much as it is kind of annoying that they don't do it as a pursuit start agree with you Devin that it it kind of worked for me as a as a mass start and also it just like left you with a little bit of uncertainty about you know where where is the race at like how much is Clybo losing to Kruger and like is there a chance that like Kruger is going to come back here so it I, I felt like it actually made it kind of fun uh fun to watch and then and then the actual competition you know, to win the race was, I didn't fall asleep. No, for sure. And I, I agree. I mean, Kruger who won and Holland, the two guys from the same club and the two guys with the highest view to max in the whole field. 
climbed like mountain goats. It was really impressive. And at one point, it almost looked like Claybo was cracking because he lost like 15 seconds in the blink of an eye. And you're like, oh my God, like, is this going to happen? And we saw what happened to Frida. Not that she had a bigger, like, she wasn't in too big a trouble to lose the overall, but, but, but Kruger was at minute 45 down on Claybo before that stage started. And everyone's like, well, that's done. But then there was, there was moments on that climb where I'm like, this is not done because Kruger looks fresh as a daisy. He looks like this is no big deal. His technique is totally fine and it's crazy steep and you have no rest and his legs don't look like they're filled with lactate whatsoever as he danced up that thing to take the lead. But in the end, I mean, Claybo wins six stages in a row. We talked that on that already, but he also finished sixth on the final stage looking showing some weakness at parts of that final stage and i think that just goes to show how <clears throat> how an incredible performance claybo had in this entire tour to ski i mean yeah what a legend it was a fantastic performance cool to see mock in the top five again he was top five up the hill last year and, and showed his prowess there shoot off the off the podium you don't see that very often for him up the final climb he's kind of a perennial podium performer up uh, Alp Tremise. but but as you alluded to earlier, I thought it was cool to see Lapierre win, and I also think it's so fun with France. Anytime a French athlete does well, it's a real celebration. Like you said, it, it, they come together yeah. and they really celebrate everybody, and everyone's there to to share in that success. And that's how you that's how you create good, long lasting team performances. And the U.S. have done that, and and Jesse's so amazing with that to be a part of that. And even when she's having a bad one or a bad day, she's always there to to lift up her teammates. And you saw that with Lockley too. Like we talked about that already, but like the whole team gets behind a great performance like that. And I thought it was cool. So, so while prior to the race, I was like, Oh, it would have been cool to see a pursuit, especially this year when everything was so tight and the men's racing was kind of, yeah, it was okay. Actually, like we said, some races were okay, but those two mass start or like one pursuit and one mass start where you're kind of hoping for some fireworks just didn't, didn't happen. It was, they were tactical affairs in Oberstorf 20 K skate and Oberstorf. And then, the 15k classic in Val de Fiem, they, they turned into just tactical affairs, the whole thing. And um, when that happens, man, it would have been cool to see that pursuit, but I agree. It, it's also, it's also fun to, to see Cle uh, Kruger cross the line, knowing that no one climbed the Alpstromies better than him. And he ends up being second in the overall Holland's third in the overall, uh, which is incredible. I think it's also cool. Novak had a great tour to ski, uh, the young Czech athlete, which also is, which also is good for, for the sport. Moch of course, climbed up into a decent overall finish as well with his great final climb. So there was, there was some, there was some fun stories from some of the other athletes, uh, not just Norway, but that said, well, on paper, I didn't like the tour de ski schedule at the outset. Cause I'm like, I don't see any real exciting kind of like races here. In the end, it was an exciting competition and uh, Fisk kind of got what they wanted. They got close races through the podium, some changes in the Alps but not so many that everyone starts saying like, why, why does the guy that wins six races in a row not win the <laughs> overall <Yeah>. thing? <laughs> so, yeah. so everybody kind of got what they wanted. And I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was another fun year and, and uh, I don't know, maybe we've converted you. We've, we could go all the way back to Val Mister and you were kind of, poo-pooing the tour de ski i don't know what i don't know what your thoughts are at the end of it all this is i thought but i thought it was a great event this year actually all together I, I still would like to see it be longer more prize money and more variation in the races but um it was it was excitement right to the very end no i i felt like uh i felt like it was good and you know seeing uh seeing frida carlson just like 
teeter over the finish line. Like, I, I don't know if we can really overemphasize that, but you know, like everyone else crossed the finish line uh, and at least like had their skis moving straight ahead and like made it a few yards. Like she barely made it across the finish line. It was, uh, it was quite a spectacle. Um, man, I had, I had something that I was going to observe about the, the overall tour and big picture, but, um, yeah, I mean, now we're, now we're headed into a bit of a break and we're going to take some time off and maybe it's a good time for folks to, Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I feel like Frida Carlson, uh, with, with, with podcasting right now, it's just, it's, it's, it's been a week, man. We've, we've had a lot of, a lot of racing to watch, a lot of talking to do. And I'm just like, I might need someone to resuscitate me, um, in time for, uh, you know, the rest of the world cup season and world ski championships. <laughs> me too. I'm just like opening my textbooks again and, and, uh, my online resources for med school. And just, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like 15 minutes of focused reading, 15 minutes of like laying my forehead on the keyboard of my laptop crying, but hopefully not too much because new computers are expensive in Norway and then lifting my eyes up back to the textbooks. But, uh, so no rest for the wicked here, Nat, but it was, it was, um, it was a fun tour. And thanks a lot again for all the engagement people that wrote in and, and uh, were engaged. We, we really appreciate it. It was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I think, it, and I think it's a good time, you know, folks have folk, the folks that they want to hear from on the podcast. If you have questions for us to answer, we do have a, we do have a two week break now. And I don't know how much time Devin has to do, uh, you know, bonus additions, but we could, we could probably make it happen over the next uh, couple of weeks. And then we'll be back with, uh, more world cup racing in a couple of weeks. I think, I think everyone's going to take a little bit of a break here. So. For sure. It'll be great, but that's a, that's a good idea. Nat. we had that one, like, uh, shorts, mailbag. the one time then if we let's be, let's do a mailbag. So people have, of course, if anyone has questions, we can, and we can collect some of the questions that we've gotten and haven't got the chance to get back to in the written form. If anyone has any questions, now's a great time. And like I said, we're going to try and try and get Tony for, for a little chat. Uh, with us it won't be like an hour and a half affair but like a, a good chat and try and get his reactions from from the canadian side of things and of course the breakup performances that he did uh i think he deserves the airtime what he what he was able to do in val de fiem was something pretty special and something that does not happen that often uh in canadian men's cross-country skiing so uh we definitely need to give him a soapbox to stand on and and uh we can sing his praises while he chats with us so we'll we'll look forward to that but thanks a lot, Nat, and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.